I cried at Wegmans when they ran out of milk duds. You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 77 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. We're jumping right back into our rescue roundtable today. And so if you haven't already listened to the first part, it probably makes sense to start there because we're literally picking up right in the middle of the conversation. As a quick reminder, we're chatting with Nicole Omar, who has been a foster in the Baltimore rescue community of both dogs and cats for the past 10 years. And we're also chatting with Melissa Trotman, who was the founder of a rescue called Bella's Bully Buddies in Baltimore that was primarily pit bull dogs. And they adopted out over a thousand dogs between 2012 to 2019. And Melissa's going to talk some today about the emotional toll and burnout that led to her having to take a step back and shut the rescue down when her life circumstances changed and running the rescue was no longer sustainable. And we're also chatting with Jen Carl, who has been volunteering in Baltimore's shelter and rescue world for nearly 30 years now. And Jen gets extremely vulnerable in this conversation today. Like to the point where I actually messaged her this week to make sure that she was still okay with sharing this. And she said, keep it in. It's important. And I completely agree. So we start off part two talking about home visits. And I'll be honest, this has been a little bit of a sticking point for my husband and I with why we've always gotten dogs through a shelter or sometimes through informal channels. Like some of our dogs have just kind of made their way to us and we just went along with it and accepted that that was what was meant to be. But we get a little weirded out about the home visit thing because we're kind of very private people. We don't have a lot of company over. We don't have open concept for entertaining. We're people who like to have our home be like a quiet sanctuary. And so inviting people into it feels like somewhat invasive to us. And while I certainly, certainly understand that that is not necessarily the point of the home visit, it's not to be invasive or judgmental as all of these ladies clearly expressed to me today. And I really appreciated how they actually like to use the home visits for more of like an educational opportunity. And so I really appreciated hearing their reasoning behind the home visits and what they're looking for. And we also talk some about how to handle difficult dogs and are there dogs that become lifetime sanctuary, lifetime rescue dogs, and how do you handle that? And then this led into one of the things I was super curious about, which is how do you decide which dogs to take into a rescue? And this was really fascinating for me to learn about how much emphasis they have to put on keeping a balance and what that means to each rescue and the thought that goes into it. 
And then the last half of our conversation today is talking about what keeps rescuers going when things get difficult. The emotional toll on rescuers is unbelievable at times. And so we talk about things like burnout and self-care and having boundaries because rescue really is like a full-time job. And 99% of the people who are involved in the rescue world already have an actual full-time job on top of their volunteer full-time job. Oh, and also they have families. And I think that Melissa and Jen and Nicole give some really great thoughts here that I hope can be a help and a benefit to those in the rescue community. So let's get started with part two of the Rescue Roundtable. So talk to me about home visits. What are the organizations looking for when they go to do a home visit? So we are very upfront with people that this is not an invasive visit. I'm not going in your bedroom. Like, honestly, my husband is very weirded out about the idea of a home visit. And we don't have, just because it's weird. But no, but but why is it weird? Like, our home feels like private, you know, like, we're not people who like entertain or, you know, it's like, we're kind of homebodies. So and it feels weird to invite like a stranger in to like judge, like, it feels very judgy, I guess. To to I have (laughs) discovered so many very alarming things on home visits. Um, you may not be a weird person, but that doesn't mean that a lot of people are not weird. No, we probably um, are weird. I don't want to be just <laughs> no. From, but I have walked into homes, and it is a complete hoarding situation. There are medications unbottled sitting all around a yard that is so overrun that you couldn't even see if there was a dog in the yard. Um, I've been on home visits where, you know, you want to adopt a three-month-old puppy, but you have Legos everywhere. And it doesn't seem odd to you that you would need to pick those up to, you know, um, where the children are in their element. So they're going to act how they're going to act, um, where you may have said you have a fence, but it's so dilapidated that any dog could get through it. Um, I've been standing in people's houses and realized that they were doing really bad things and that they were purposely trying to adopt a dog from us knowing that they should not be. Um, It's been very eye opening. It could be that they have a lovely yard, they have, you know, a lovely house, but there is a dog next door that is so aggressive and trying to get through the fence and stuff that you might not pick up on on others. And we happen to do home visits throughout COVID. Um, I did some cat rescue during that time. I, you know, did dog rescue during that time. And so we, we always continued it because we feel it's very important as, you know, part of what we're doing. And again, every rescue is doing different things. And I don't know that there's a, a right or wrong. It's what's right for that rescue and how the people in the rescue who are running the rescue feel. I have just seen some stuff and I don't think I would ever foster for an organization that didn't do home visits just because it's what I've grown comfortable with, you know? And there were some, there were some situations where we were iffy on adopting to people and got in the home and we decided, Oh my God, they're amazing. The house is great. I'm so glad I got to see them in their home. They were super awkward on paper, super awkward on the phone, 
but they're just amazing people for this dog. Mm -hmm. I can tell you about my worst and best home visit. Um, The worst was pretty much not in my neighborhood, but very much in my community. And I think the application seemed good. And I volunteered to do the home visit because I had called the family to do the, you know, go over the application and do the interview and they were close to me. So I went over there. And within a minute of being inside their house, their other dog bit me. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happened. So it was a tiny dog. Thank goodness. But the fa- yes, it did hurt. And luckily I had jeans on, but the family acted like they didn't see yeah, it happen. That is their normal And of life. course it was yeah. like, uh, no, that's a hard no. Um, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that happened. And then the best was we had a dog and he had been left in a home where the people just left a whole bunch of animals in the home and locked the house up and left and never came back. And I, I don't remember how this dog ended up being discovered probably by neighbors, but he was the only surviving animal in the house. Unfortunately, all the other dogs had starved. And he was severely emaciated to the point where you just don't know how he survived. But he made an incredible recovery and was just, or is still, the sweetest dog. And, you know, had a wonderful foster family and a local celebrity's family applied to adopt the dog. And the the celebrity is a man. The the wife um, is the one who was really communicating with me and she... She said she wanted to adopt a dog, and she was, I think it was generally just interested in a, a pit bull type dog and wanted to adopt from a pit bull rescue. But her husband believed the hype and the media garbage about pit bulls and wasn't really sure he wanted a pit bull for his family. And so I, I told her, you know, hey, why don't you come and go, come to one of our training classes and just bring him along and, you know, you don't have to be there to meet a specific dog, but just see how we run things and see our fosters, you know, in a training class with our dogs and see what he thinks, because I think he's going to change his mind. And he did. And they fell in love with this dog who had been on the brink of death and, you know, had horrible things happen to him. And they were interested in adopting him. And I did that home visit. And while you could say, like, are we really not going to adopt this family, right? <laughs> like, they are high profile. They are clearly can take care of a dog. They were wonderful. They did what we asked and came to this training class, even though they weren't even sure if they were going to adopt. And they just had presented themselves as a wonderful applicant. And I went to the house, and they had older children. And their children were in the kitchen when I arrived, introduced themselves, shook my hand, and asked questions about adopting and a dog. And I mean, it was so wonderful because, you know, they were probably quite sure they were going to be approved. But they had set the expectation with their children that they were going to participate and be respectful of the process. Yes, take it seriously, be respectful of the process, that this wasn't a silly thing, that I am really there to make sure this dog is finding a wonderful home. And that was just so impressive. And it, it really was a great experience. And they adopted the dog. He has his own Instagram page. <laughs> and um, he, you know, they hired a trainer who we recommended. And 
trained their dog and he's just got a wonderful life. But that was just such an impressive home visit. And, you know, in both situations, they just like solidified the decision so much. One being a no and one being a hell yes. So (laughs) I think also that, as I was saying, the, the home visit is not about going through your drawers. The home visit, a lot of times um, we find turns into how will integrating this dog in your house during a shutdown period or a initial introduction, especially with these more difficult dogs, how will that work for you? Like, I have no way to block this dog off from my other dogs. Well, I am here to solve that problem for you. Well, and that's a lot of what it is. Yeah, you you help problem solve. Yes, and seeing what's going on, and and it can be such a valuable experience. I don't go in people's bedrooms unless that's where your crate chooses to be. And I just need to see you've got your crate set up and it's going to work for the dog. It's not a fifty pound dog going in a puppy crate. You know, just knowing the basics of what's going on. If you say you have a fence and it's required with that rescue, what it looks like. I always go in, see how the kids are interacting with the dog in the living space and the husband and wife, because I've also been in situations where they're both on board, but you go to do the home visit and the husband's like, I don't want anything to do with this. Mm. Or how the house is set up, you know, it, it, maybe it's a duplex and there are dogs next door and you're sharing a yard and that wasn't really what was talked about. It's never been a go through your, you know, kitchen and make sure everything's put away. It's never been, you know, bedrooms or let me see your bathroom or those sort of situations. And I don't know any rescue that has ever done yeah. I always anything say, like please that. Please don't clean. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do not clean. Do not clean. And please yes. don't be nervous. And yes. I think you brought up a really good point, Nicole, that I didn't think of before, but it's an incredible opportunity to, to find um, education opportunities to educate people and to see how they respond to that. Because if you have somebody who is a know-it-all and, you know, and they're doing things that you, through your experience, may think are unsafe and you just respectfully provide a little education and they're offended and they're, you know, they respond to it in a way that like clearly they're not going to, you know, change the way they do anything or even consider it. Not that you're right and you you know are going to tell them exactly how they're going to take care of their dog you wouldn't be so picky but if it was something important that you felt was important you know you would see how they would respond to that education mm-hmm. but most people appreciated it so much mm-hmm. and so it was just a great opportunity to to teach them and to make things a little bit better for this dog and yeah, I think they're very positive. Absolutely. And Never so I see how thing. some people could think it's negative and it's an in- invasion of privacy. But I think that it can be such a positive experience for everybody. And, it, you know, also when you adopt through a rescue, you have a lifeline for ever. I tell people, you you will not be able to get rid of me now. And what comes with that is email me anytime, text me anytime. I know this dog if you have questions. So doing the home visit also is a, hey, I can't get him to do such and such. Hey, well, remember that door you have right there? Why don't you throw a gate up there? And, you know, I think that'll help solve the situation. Or maybe your crate will do better 
at that area instead of that one. So I just think it, it helps you help them as well. I agree. And you know, it's it is a process. And a lot of it's done over the phone or via email. So it's nice to have a face of the rescue. I mean, it's nice to go in and say, hey, you know, you're in my area. So I'm going to be your person. If you have any questions or issues, you know, I'll be the one to help you. I'm five miles away or, you know, whatnot. And I think, yeah, I mean, same thing, right? Please don't clean. Please don't. If you wear your pajamas till one in the afternoon and I'm (laughs) coming at noon, (laughs) do not change. You know, I do not care. I'm not looking for dust bunnies. I'm looking for something that may not be safe. So what I'm going to look for is, is there a hole in your fence? Is there bleach on the floor? Things like that. Things that are probably not going to be there. But I just need to take a peek. You know, I, I, I'm only going to go into your closet if that's where you're going to keep your crate because it's a nice walk-in closet. You know, I'm not looking at your clothes. I mean, look at me. I'm like the hot mess express half the time. Why would I be looking at your clothes? <laughs> Hold on. We have to just mention Jen's shirt because I love it so much. <laughs> It says, not fragile like a flower, fragile like a bomb. Oh <laughs> I just love that. I love my RBG. I, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. But I've said no twice. And one was um, they refused to put the top on their, their hot tub because they didn't like the way it looked. And I'm like, okay, so you're going for aesthetics over your dog drowning. Right. That's, I'm sorry. That's not going to work for me. And then the other one there was, you know, this woman did amazing things in the community. She, she did this whole like after school program with kids and stuff like that. But her entire house was just lined with like, like those snack treats that you put in lunch bags, you know, because she would feed the kids, you know, in the after school programs. And so she, so literally you walked in and there was just no room. And the only way she could fit a crate was putting it on its side, which would have involved... And she said, please have a seat. And I went, where exactly, you know? And then we figured out the only way the dog could get into the crate would be if they jumped over some of the food onto the ottoman and then <laughs> in. And I'm like, you know what? God love you. You are doing so many things for this community, my community. I mean, I could walk to her house. I'm like, thank you for what you do. This is not your time for a dog. You know, you focus on what you're doing. And I hope more people sign up to be like you. But a dog's not going to work right at this moment. If you switch passions, let me know. But for right now... You just stick with feeding the kids because that needs to be done. <laughs> yeah. You know. But now we did the, the virtual home visits after during COVID because people wouldn't let us into their homes, you know, at, at the beginning when we didn't know. I mean, with masks and gloves and stuff like that, they just, you know, high risk people and we didn't know what was going on. So we did the virtual ones and we still do that. In fact, I did a, I was doing a training session with someone that they had issues they wanted to work on outside. So I said to our adoption coordinator, yeah, go ahead and have them send their virtual home visit because I have a feeling I'm going to be spending most of my time with them outside. So I, I think that that would be better. And we were inside, outside, whatever. I mean, like I could have done it, but 
Um, so we still rely on that. And we, there was a time when Tara's house had stopped doing home visits. And it was right when I came back in an administrative role. And this dog, <laughs> Benjamin, Benjamin Buttbiter. <laughs> And uh, he just had to do it. He just had to bite your ass once. He just needed, it was just like taking a bite out of a peach. And these people fell in love with them. It was gorgeous. A plot hound mix is where all breed. So they brought him home and they took him out in the yard. And they were like throwing the ball and he wanted to play fetch. And then like a half an hour later, he still wanted to play fetch. And they returned him. And it wasn't like one of those things. I was blowing up the kitchen, making one of my crazy things that I make. And, oh, that's when I made what the beep soup. Because <laughs> they tech, they emailed me. They're like, get this dog out of our house right now. And I'm all kind of cooking right now. You know, what's, what's your thing? And they're like, oh, you know, this, that, and the other. And they said, you know, basically the, the dog was just too young for them. If we had done a home visit, perhaps we would have seen the AARP magazines, you know, maybe we would have seen, you know, Cruising Life magazine, maybe we would have seen and what she's doing right now is what we incessantly do in rescue. If if I had, maybe I would have done something different for this. It's a it's an epidemic. I mean, us. they were <laughs> lovely, lovely people. Yeah. But they just weren't the right energy. They wanted a couch potato. And, you know, a two-year-old butt biter is not going to be your couch potato. I mean, he'll, he'll lay down after he bites your ass once. <laughs> but, I mean, you know. And then he, went, he got adopted into a different home. And we said, okay, he's a young dog. He needs to be like, like everything that had gone wrong in the last home were telling these people. But he got returned again. So we found the perfect family for him, these three little girls, and he joins their tea parties. <laughs> and yes, he bit the adopter's booty <laughs> just once. But he was like, he just had to get that out of the system. That was just, that was just Ben's thing, you know? So yeah, when we didn't do that home visit, you know, and here I am very new. Well, I mean, you know, I knew everybody from Terrace House, but they didn't know that they had to like listen to me. <laughs> So, so here I'm like, I think we should do some home visits. And I think, you know, Benjamin Butler's situation, I think he's a really good example for why we need to do this. And then, you know, that was like, that. there was some pushback. Well, if you want the home visits done, then you do it. Fine. I'll go do it. Like, hey, I need a home visit done in Annapolis. Oh, sure. That's like right around the corner from me in Towson. I'm happy to do that. Yeah, you know, I'll be right over, you know. I'm like, go ahead, you know, throw it at me. I said, but I have to tell you, these home visits, they're really fun. Mm-hmm. You get they, to know the I, they people. They are. They're great. You know, everybody's super nice. And you are representing the rescue. You're, you are bragging about your passion Mm -hmm. and you're inviting that person to come in and just be a part of it and it builds the relationship which is really absolutely Absolutely. because you have repeat adopters and you have people who decide they want to volunteer or foster absolutely and tell their friends right exactly yeah and i'll tell you i recently fostered a shih tzu (laughs) who 
I fostered just, you know, because he had been in a bad situation. I wanted to make sure he got into a good situation. I drove an hour and a half to do a home visit with a couple that on paper was amazing. But this dog was an asshole. So I drove there. As soon as we got there, he, he lives with my child. He's great with my child. He was an utter idiot at that house with their children. And their children were not made for a dog like him. He was jumping on them and grabbing them and biting their butt and on paper. And everybody wanted this Shih Tzu. Everybody wanted this Shih Tzu. It was a nightmare. And if I hadn't done that home visit for a dog that wasn't even a pit bull, that would have been a nightmare. He was horrible with their children. Absolutely horrible. He is now in the best home with a little bit older children. And I mean, my kid was not much older than these kids and it just didn't click for him. And I left there and I thought, I'm never going to find a home for this dog. He is awful. And went to the other home visit and he pooped on their floor as soon as we walked in the the house and he got on their kitchen table. Oh my God. And I'm like, this is what, this is it. This is him. This is what you're going to get. And they were like, we love him and he is not going to get on the table. We are not going to tolerate that. And I was like, sold. Yeah. So both of those families, I don't know if I would have felt a different way. It it would have been a nightmare without a home visit for that one, particularly. (laughs) All right. So you're bringing up something that I had almost forgot about. So lovely older woman that lives in my neighborhood wanted to adopt a smaller dog. She goes through a rescue. You know, she really loved the idea of going through rescue because she likes the idea that it's lived in a home before that somebody's like worked with the dog a little bit. So there was a dog that I guess had been in the rescue for a long time. And I don't know exactly what was communicated, you know, because obviously I wasn't there. I just was, you know, she was just telling me about it later that I guess the dog was on a lot of medications for his behavior and she was like they just said oh give him these medications and he'll be fine and then her vet did not like that the dog was on these medications and had advised her to stop and then the dog had all of these behavior issues like bit her grandchild and she was like horrified and like didn't you know know what was going on and contacted for help and like they were like well we'll just take the dog back and it was a really weird bizarre situation and it it definitely seemed like there was some kind of communication breakdown and I mean and this woman was like so devastated about giving the dog back I mean she was like didn't even try to adopt another dog for like two more years because she had like PTSD from this like experience, you know, and she's literally, she had had other dogs, you know, we've lived in our neighborhood for almost 20 years. So I mean, like she'd had other dogs in that time, you know, like she's this lovely woman, you know, and I, I felt like this wasn't on her. And I guess I kept trying to tell her, I think you had reasonable expectations. You made reasonable attempts. I can direct you to another organization. Do you ever look at these kind of situations? Like, what is the role of the rescue in, like, kind of the matchmaking process and of really being up front? You know, do you just hope for the best or? Never. 100% honesty is the only yeah. way, the only responsible way. We don't hope for the best because we're, when they're with us, they are with the best mm-hmm. at that time. I mean, we're chapters in a book. So with us, they're getting training if they're at our training facility. They're getting 
life skills in a foster home. If they're in our medical boarding facility, they're getting care there. They're ours until they're not. And we would never compromise anything to do that to a dog because they've already been let down before. Mm -hmm. And I think one of our roles in rescue is to stand by our decision with that dog. We pulled that dog for a reason. We knew we could help that dog for a reason. That dog is going to get a good home. If we have, you know, we've had a, we've had dogs for over a year. They are fabulous dogs. And the second we, we invite our adopters to work with dogs in, in our training class. And this dog is such a jerk to every adopter. It's like he doesn't want to leave us. <laughs> and we're like, could you just fake it just once? <laughs> <You know? laughs> we're actually taking him to an event in a couple of weeks, and I, I think he's going to kill it. I think he's going to be awesome. <laughs> but I'm afraid that people are going to be like, I'd like to adopt him. And we're like, Okay, let's see. Let's see so, what he does. Right. So, yeah, what do you do when there's a dog that's just like really difficult and you're like, I don't know if I can put them in a home? Like, do you have you had He's your forever dog in your rescue then? It is your, your mascot. <laughs> there are, yeah, there are dogs in rescue for years until yeah. they die. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. We don't have many, but we do have sanctuary dogs. And that's, and we love them. We do the best we can with them, that they are fine with us. You know, they've bitten several people, but they haven't bitten us, so they can stay. My Zelda was <laughs> not a great dog. We did tons of training with her, and I was like, I don't think she's going to do good with anybody <laughs> else. And she was wonderful with my two-year-old, with myself, with my other kids. And I I vividly remember me saying to Melissa, I... I think I'm going to adopt her. And she's like, are you sure? Yeah. Like, I want to go on record as yeah, not like, having forced that or not forced anyway. <laughs> and she has been, she is the most amazing dog for puppies. Now we don't have adult dogs come to our home, but she's amazing. And had I not adopted her, I don't know. I mean, she she just was a dog that I just as a foster didn't feel comfortable with her going out in the world. And it took me three years of intense training with her in structured training to make her who she is now. And I didn't personally feel I was ever going to find somebody willing to do that. Now, maybe there are those people out there, but she ended up working for us once we got that. But some dogs are just, um, it's not that you foster fail them necessarily, but sometimes you are just the best place for them. I'm not, a, I don't really like the term foster fail because I don't think you're failing the it's dog. Success. Um, yeah. You have found the best setting for that dog. With yourself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But there are some that stick around forever because of certain reasons. I can think of, this is related, but I just had a thought that is interesting. I can think of two examples from Bella's where we had extremely, probably the most experienced fosters in terms of understanding dog behavior, training, you know, had zillions of dogs in their life. 
um, who had foster dogs who they considered to be dogs who would be very difficult to place, that they felt that they were not a dog who could be adopted to just anyone. And, and really, I believe we're, they thought they were doing the best thing for that dog by making sure we understood we're not going to just put that dog anywhere. But over time, I feel like they really sort of like built a resistance to the idea of having them be adopted because the dog was just, quote, unquote, difficult, challenging. And the two dogs I'm thinking of had adopters sort of come out of the blue who maybe had been following them on social media and who just wanted these dogs. And we thought it was weird because we're like, there's all these other dogs who are easy. Why do you want this dog? For whatever reason, they were adamant that they wanted to be considered for this dog. And I remember sort of thinking like, well, maybe this is the universe telling us that this is the right match and we're sort of being jerks and we're holding this dog back. And these two dogs I'm thinking of, against the foster's wishes, we took a chance and adopted to these people who we had vetted very well and felt would be wonderful dog owners and we think, I think, prepared them that this very experienced foster has considered this dog a challenging dog. And, you know, we did our due diligence. We wanted to make sure everything was safe and fair and honest. Um, and those dogs were completely different dogs in those homes and thrived wow. and have lived both lived out their lives there wow. and wow. had wonderful lives and were not at all the same dog that they were in the other wow. home. So... Sometimes you'll think, I wonder, you know, how that dog would do in a different foster home. Because, you know, sometimes it's just not right for the dog in an adoptive home or in a foster home. So that it is a thing to sometimes have to move them around to see who the dog truly is. So one thing I wanted to talk about was, like, how do you determine which dogs to bring into the rescue? And... You know, I've seen different, I don't know, philosophies on this. Like, I've seen rescues be criticized. Like, oh, they only take, like, the super young puppy cute things that'll get really easily adopted out. Which, you know, I feel like you need dogs to get adopted to keep being able to pull, you know. But, like, sometimes people are criticized for that. And then you see other, you know, rescues that, like, they're taking all the the really hard medical cases or something. And there's, I don't know, like, an element of, like pulling on the heartstrings of, you know, let's nurse this dog back to health and people get invested in the journey and like, well, there's a need for that too. And, you know, you should have people invested in your rescue. It should be like a community effort. Like, I don't necessarily think that that's like a bad thing to be criticized for, but you see that all the online, you know, everybody has their opinions on what people are doing. So, you know, is there any real philosophy or selection criteria or like, how do you make these decisions? Well, it has to be what you have available for fosters is one thing. You know, my home, I have some difficult dogs who I've acquired through years of fostering and they now live with me. Um, and they're not the greatest personality-wise with other adult dogs. I only foster puppies. Um, I fostered adult dogs until my daughter was walking and I thought it was not a great environment for the dog or the child at that age, um, as well as I ended up with my dog who wasn't great with adult dogs. So I do puppies. So for me, I 
get a little defensive about, you know, a lot of times when people are like, oh, of course you want the puppies. Everybody, puppies, puppies are, so are horrible. Gross. I would yeah. never want a, a puppy. Yeah. Horrible. Ew. You, never. It, and that is the the rescue eats their young mentality of, oh, there they go again, taking the puppies. When in fact, sometimes that's the only foster that's available. And they're a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So I, I think there are bad rescues out there that are what, you know, we call puppy flippers who just want to get all these puppies and get them through to get that adoption fee, which I don't understand because you're not doing a good job fostering then. But I think a rescue cannot take a dog unless they have a foster. And we, you know, have certain people who only do senior dogs or certain people who only do adult dogs, certain people who can handle medical cases, certain people who can do only puppies up to a certain age, some that can only do females, some that can, I mean, it's so much. So you have to, as a rescue, look at what you have available as far as fosters. And then you can take in what, you can accommodate. Um, sometimes you can put a plea out and get a lot of new fosters who are like, oh, I would love to foster. And then you have to realize they can't foster those uh, difficult dogs that are coming in. So you have to find a way to find them a dog that a new foster can handle. I mean, I agree with everything Nicole said. And I think that it's who you have available to foster and you know your foster's strengths and what kind of dogs need to be placed there. But I also think just looking at the overall balance a lot of times helps. So you just, you know, who your next dog is going to be depends on who you already have. Yeah. And so if you have a bunch of dogs who still need a little bit of time until they're fully healthy and adoptable, then, you know, it's time to go to the shelter and just find three awesome, healthy dogs who aren't, who are being passed up for adoption at the shelter but who are going to be, you know, you a little training and a little vet care, and then they're going to be adoptable. Yeah. Um, and that's important because when you get out of balance, that's when the rescue really starts sinking financially. And then that gets everybody's morale down and yeah. that makes things really difficult when you just feel like you can't, you, you can't take any dogs because you're not moving any dogs. And that's really discouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. It's 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 really hard. I mean, because we're an all breed rescue, um, the administrators all have a say. Like we have one person who is a hound person, and she knows who the hound fosters are. Yeah. And then we've got somebody else who specializes in little dogs, and she knows where the little dog fosters are. We have foster homes and uh, use boarding facilities. So we've got dogs. My specialty, my favorite faves are the rude dogs. Uh, you know, mo ruda, mo betta, because I, I love anything they do that isn't shitty is good. So like with the bar is so low for them, they can only go up. So we have them on what we call the training team. So we've got, and we've got volunteers that come out and work with the dog. And then we, the dog comes to our uh, rescue class every Saturday morning. And that for me is a ton of fun. It is not healthy financially for the rescue because mm-hmm. we have to pay for the yeah. boarding. And of course, we all know the adoption fee is like 
It's like a drop in the bucket. How is that yeah. so much? Like I spent $6,500 on this dog and the adoption fee is 300 yeah. I, like, I think the adoption fee should be $6,500. So it is a risk. You know, we... There are certain dogs that we can fast track. Like we know they just yeah. have a couple of things that are just kind of eh. And, you know, we can get there. And when we train these dogs, we train them for an A plus, knowing they'll get a C, maybe a C minus <laughs> in the house. And that's fine. Yeah. I mean, we do not expect the dog to sit in 2.4 seconds in their home. But we do expect the dog to sit the first time. They're told to sit, not sit, sit, sit. I said sit. (laughs) Sit means sit, literally. So because we've got different tastes, per se, um, I think it it allows for a variety. And then we can get some of these other dogs adopted out. Now, And right now, we haven't had a lot of adoptions. We had, we've got two in queue. We had one uh, on Thursday. So... They're happening, but not like they used to. And some of the dogs we have are unicorns. Like, it's like the rescue gods have smiled down because I feel like for all the awful dogs that we've taken, all of the money pit dogs we've taken, the dogs are like, oh, it's just a little... A little skin issue. They'll be fine. And it ends up being like they're allergic to everything except for concrete. You know, it's just like, oh, great. Um, So, you know, having done all that and then we get these unicorns and they're not being adopted out right now either. And now we're stuck and there's really very little we can do. Our foster's dogs aren't being adopted. I mean, even like, oh, yeah, let's get the seven pounder. They'll go in a minute, you know. Right. Nope. Seven pounders still sitting there, yeah. you know, for no other reason that I don't know why. I mean, you can put that dog in your pocket and walk around with it. Like you don't even, you don't even need to be home. Just take the dog with you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so we try to have a diversity, but people will still say, oh, you've got so many pit bull dogs. Yeah, I know those, those four, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> That's one of the things I wanted to talk about, too, is, you know, I I had spoken with somebody recently who was lamenting that the organization she was involved in didn't like to pull pit bull dogs. They were considered an all breed rescue. But somewhere along the line, somebody with that runs the organization was like, they they don't want to be they don't want to deal with it. People complain, you know, uh, they don't want to be considered a pit bull rescue. You know, and I was just, you know. I'm horrible. <laughs> I'm like oh. so taken aback, right? Because like that's exactly what I want. So, do, what do you? What have you seen or experienced in in deciding? Like, how do you decide? Oh, I only want to do pit bulls, or how, what do you do when people are like, oh, they only have? Does that exist? Or, yeah, I mean, I for mean, us, it was you know we were shelter volunteers, and ninety what eight percent, if not ninety nine percent if not 99.5% right. of the dogs <laughs> were considered pit bulls. And so that was the, it was where is the need simply for us. And then of course it's a taste, right? So if I w- volunteered in a shelter that ha- had all German shepherds, maybe I would have fallen in love with German shepherds, but I but didn't. You know, in 1994, you know what we called those dogs? Mutts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We didn't call them Which pit bull is, dogs. would be more we accurate. We called them yes. mutts or pound puppies. And, and I, I find that concept, very strange because, you know, I've been in two different pit bull rescues that are not 
they're not just pit bulls. I mean, I I came to Melissa once and like I got this pug off of Facebook. The guy was gonna <laughs> shoot it. Can we list it? And she's like, sure. <laughs> you're pug bull. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, and I I feel like if you're saying you won't take pit bulls because it's too difficult or your fosters are whining about it, I question you as a rescue. I mean, you shouldn't be looking at breeds as rescue. I just feel like that doesn't work together. It's just Especially if you're all breed. I mean, if you, yeah, you want to just do Cocker Spaniels, okay, by all right, means, then go just be a take Cocker Spaniel. Spaniels. Yes. But if you're all breed, it seems like that's discriminatory. Yeah. If you're going to... I think it sounds good to say you're an all breed rescue, but if you if that thought even enters your mind that you, you're going to say, well, we're just not going to do pit bulls, then, or if you're even a foster who says, I refuse to, I fostered a Shih Tzu. Have I mentioned <laughs> that? Like, you know, it's, it just shouldn't be that, that way. I don't know. Yeah. One thing I, I mean, I definitely feel like when Bella's was active, many of the all breed rescues were all breed, but pit bulls. And I mean, we would have them contact us like, Somebody contacted us about this pit bull dog, and we can't possibly take this dog. <laughs> right. But you could. And it was like, somehow, me, like, brand newbie dog owner, you know, never had a dog in my life, figured out, these are just dogs. Yeah. And I just, I I never understood that. But it was okay, because it was, I mean, it annoyed me, because it didn't make any sense, and it wasn't based on any data or science or you know that like somehow they'd be discriminated against these dogs like somehow they were going to be more difficult to manage because it's it's absolutely not true but it was my preference because I wanted to to work with the underdog and that's what it was it was working with the dogs who need me most and that's just happened to be quote unquote pit bulls or pit mutts or mutts or pound puppies or whatever you want to call it <laughs> uh, well yeah I mean our mission is to help dogs that are you know at risk. And yeah, pitties are at risk. So yeah, I mean, we can't help but and again, the shelter world has molded me, you know, to pitties. I mean, I love a blockhead. I would I mean, I do, you know, but we have, we're fortunate enough that for someone like me, who are the rude dogs typically are the pitties and yay like I mean like woo and they're cute so that's like the trifecta you know my thing is you can act ugly but you can't look ugly <laughs> you know, so you know what there's a joke in you know on a volunteer page like are you pulling another rude pity and I'm like not on purpose you know but but because you know uh, with the directors we all have our sort of passion so for us it works out great that we can rescue and do well by different breeds and i think it's good to have diversity it brings other eyes to your rescue it that does. maybe wouldn't come to a pitbull rescue but i saw you have this cute little shepherd mix well and we've had people that are like they come to adopt the lab and they leave with the pity yeah i mean you know because once they're approved they're approved so we just invite them to meet all the dogs if it's somebody you know if it's one on training day have a seat watch what we do the second half of the class you can participate not with all of the dogs but pick one that you think you know you're kind of honing in on 
and you can work with that dog for the second half of the class. And, you know, if, if that dog's not the dog for you, you know, let's have a discussion, pros, cons, and then we can either introduce you to another dog on a different day that's here or to a different dog that is located someplace else. But then we get people, you know, one of our, our volunteers will say, hey, did you see that this shelter has uh, a cattle dog? Um, I love cattle dogs. If you can pull the dog, could I foster? Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry. Was that like a rhetorical question? (laughs) You know, or we'll, or people just say, Hey, you know, I just saw this dog. I'm trying to take a foster break. And really I am after this dog, but could you pull this dog? Yeah. I mean, but here's the thing. I mean, if, if the dog doesn't get adopted in three months and chances are excellent, the dog is not going to be adopted in three months. I, I need you to keep this dog. So even though you're taking a, a break after this dog, you might have this dog for a while. Are you okay with that? And if you're not, that is okay. Another rescue will likely. And tell me that now, dog. please. Not yeah. in three months. <laughs> right. So, and I know, and we've had that. Like, um, you know, we're getting close to the end date. What end date? <laughs> did you ha- were you thinking that, or did you actually tell someone? Because I'm almost certain this is the first time I'm hearing this. You know. <laughs> I, I guess I'm just always surprised, like in this 2023, that like there's still people that have a problem with pit bull dogs, you know, and I understand everybody has their preferences or, or, and you know, I certainly, I have my preference for pit bull dogs, right? But like, I guess I'm just always so shocked when I'm like, Oh, that's still a thing. Like I thought we got over that like 15 Mm -hmm. years ago. Like how about what about the millions of families who are living happily with these dogs every day, you know, just like (laughs) snuggling under blankets and, you know, we have to tell you, I went to an event last night. It was, we were invited to come to a car show. show, Yeah. Yeah, And I got home last night and I was cuddled up with my random mutts that are predominantly pit bulls. And I thought back and I said, wow, I think that's the first time I've been to an event in a while where not one person said, it's a shame what people say about them. Oh, I can't have a pit. Like there was none of that at all. It's not the dog. It's the owner. And I was around hundreds of people and there wasn't one comment revolving around that. And even a few people said, well, what kind of dog is that? And it was almost refreshing to hear that too, because it kind of gave me the, they weren't automatically looking at that dog saying, you're a pit bull. It, it was just such a positive experience that I don't get that often. And I still will get going to all these events, just little remarks. And it's not even necessarily that they're trying to be rude. It's just what they have been told. Oh, people say such weird stuff. They yeah. do. They do. It's perfectly okay to not say anything at all. Yeah. I don't know why <laughs> yes. people feel like the filter doesn't apply. Right. I mean, it's like, yeah, we're with pities and, you know, we've got tattoos and we're like, whatever. So you can just say random dumb stuff. I mean, and it's okay to have a preference. I mean, I don't prefer certain men. So (laughs) it's okay to not 
prefer a certain breed of dog. But, you know, it doesn't mean that you're bad or they're bad. But, you know, it, if it's not the dog you're attracted to, that's fine. Uh, but I really think you should be tracked attracted to personalities but you know remember that fuzzy dog that we had that was really awful <laughs> yes it was a doodle something yes, it and was. it was like mm-hmm. yeah that was probably one of our most challenging dogs yeah, yeah. that's he those doodles <laughs> he was returned like a hundred times i think wasn't it i, it was I don't like remember 100. because i think i have to protect <laughs> myself yeah. i have forgotten yeah. <laughs> all those years of therapy just yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nicole. Sorry. (laughs) Just thinking about that. Doodle dog. As if I already wasn't before we started talking. I mean, I just feel like everybody's like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe all that goes into running these organizations and all that the volunteers are doing and all that you're hearing and putting up with. And so I just feel like, like, what keeps you going? Like, just what keeps you going when when this feels like so emotionally intense? I cried at Wegmans when they ran out of milk duds. (laughs) I literally said to the checkout person, you guys really should have a sign. I'm sorry, we're out of milk duds. (laughs) (laughs) Because sometimes you just need a milk dud for so many reasons. If for no other reason, you're chewing so hard, you can't actually say what you're thinking. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. those little things. I think the success stories... And like Nicole said, the friends that you make who, you know, never have I been in a group where you have people who have all different political views, different religions, different backgrounds, who get along so well because you have a common, mm-hmm. you know, a goal. And that is really awesome. You don't, I feel like nowhere else in life do you yeah. have that. And that was one of the wonderful parts of rescue. And then the success stories with the dogs. I mean, like the, families who keep in touch or at least share on Facebook. And even now, a lot of the Bella's dogs are now passing away because they're getting into their teen years. And even though it like is really sad, it's, I mean, I don't even know. Is it sad if a dog dies at 15? I mean, it's like, but it's emotional, right? It's it, you feel for the family and you just remember, taking care of that dog and that, but having that shared now over and over. I mean, I feel like it's happening every week where somebody's tagging me on something where one of the former Bella's dogs died, but their families are making beautiful videos or collages and just saying thank you to us. And for, they're returning to rescue for their next dog because right. it was such a positive exactly. experience. Yep. And it's yeah. just awesome. I mean, that stuff kept me going and the you know even in the real time but now it just is still so rewarding but self-care is a real concern yeah, yeah. i mean i'm also a healthcare provider and that's a thing with healthcare providers so is nicole and you've worked in healthcare for a long time too right so i would say in both of those areas self-care is so important because burnout is real yeah and it is i mean we need us. I mean, I, I mean, I had an element of burnout. I mean, I had a lot of things going on in my personal life. And that was sort of the last straw. And then, you know, my life changed very abruptly. And it just didn't suit running a rescue anymore. And um, I, I don't know if I could have prevented that with more self care. I think, you know, delegating more probably would have been very good for me and Anita. I think we we took on a lot. 
so yeah, so I would say anybody who's involved in rescue, you have to remember to have boundaries and take care of yourself. And it's really hard when you are seeing all these social media pleas for these dogs and you've got this random chick on there who has never fostered a day in her life going, oh, rescues, you should step up. Somebody do something. Somebody has to save this precious fur baby. And as a rescue person, as an administrative level or as a foster level, that rips you apart. That you're like, where can I shove another dog in this house? And yeah, maybe if I just work hard enough, I can make this work. And you get that mental anguish. I, I just had to take four weeks off after having surgery and it ripped me apart every day. I, there was nobody that my foster would have fit into their house for. So I went and had surgery and came home and had my dogs and my foster and did his adoption in my house the next day after surgery, because that's, that's what needed to happen for him. And then every day that I was on a break afterwards, it was anguish. I don't think you should feel bad about like, well, you shouldn't, but it's, it's what goes through our mind. You you know, you could, you, you could do it. I mean, at all costs, you could do it. It's possible. Is it, is it, prudent is it smart does it is it healthy right it's it's a hard balance and that's you know that's where having your fellow people in rescue with you is helpful because you know they're they're giving you the no 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 stop wait you can't do that you know and but you you have to find that balance of mental health in both parts of it because having the dog is is a problem but then not having the dog is a problem too, because you just get those guilty, especially right now with all the shelters being so full. And that's all you hear. It's on the news. It's, it's in all the social media threads, be your on rescue or not. It's everywhere. It's a known fact. So yeah, a long time ago, I had to unfollow (laughs) certain stuff on social media, because it was like, I can't look at this all day like it is not enjoyable for me to just constantly see this barrage of like stuff like I had to you know like set boundaries for myself that way like my husband completely got off social media it's such a you had said like it's such a double-edged sword because it's you know we also fell in love with like our dog Nino on social media and that was like how we you know went and found him I can't like see it all the time you know so imagine being that person who's responsible for reading those emails in a rescue from the administrative level of could be hundreds a day from shelters, from people, people and just people saying, I have no other choice and I'm going to have to euthanize my dog today. If you don't take this dog. That's so unfair. (laughs) It is. It is unfair. It is unfair. But, and, but there's those people who are taking those emails and, and imagine what they're, going through it's it's hard it's it really can drag you down and you know just having to support them so that they know that they're doing all that they can do it's it's difficult as somebody who gets those emails like I don't even feel like I'm necessarily supportive Mm -hmm. you know I tried that whole well have you reached out to such and such organization well I reached out to them but you know 
they didn't they didn't respond or you know whatever and uh, not that and i would blame anybody the, and people get mad at the no response but what are you supposed to do and they're uh, yeah, yeah i i mean it's, you have to euthanize your dog yeah. then do it mm-hmm. like just do it i mean why why am i being brought into this conversation yeah if you are at that point you need to be with your dog because whatever the reason is, illness or bite history or something, if we take that dog, the outcome will likely be the same and your dog will be with strangers. So do the right thing yes. and be with your dog. Yep. Mm-hmm. Period. I mean, so no, I can't be like, oh, I'm sorry that little fuzzy, you know, yeah. bit you in the face for the seventh time and you need to euthanize. We'll be happy to take that dog. No. Yeah. Our unicorns aren't being adopted. Yeah. Why do I want a face spider? And having to have those conversations or even ignore those emails is, is a lot for these people who are running rescues. I'm sure. It's so hard. I mean, just... The stuff that we get, it be more dog, you know, because we get a lot of that stuff too, especially from people that have interacted with our clinics and stuff and, you know, then think we can solve like all the problems, you know, and so I just, what we get is just some. I sometimes think that there should definitely be somebody else besides me who answers these emails because (laughs) there might be somebody who is better at it, but I'm, I'm just blunt. I'm honest, you you know? It helps protect you as well. Like you you get to a certain point where you have to, sometimes being that person is you have to protect yourself and you can't solve all the problems. And I, you know, I honestly, I'm, I'm beyond that. I was, I mean, June was a terrible month for me. I actually, I mean, the compassion fatigue, the depression, the anxiety, the fact that I'm on this hamster wheel and I can't get off. I literally, I cannot get off. And nothing changes. I mean, the environment doesn't change. The situation doesn't change. The only thing that changes is the day of the week, the month. Uh, you know, like the calendar months just keep going. That's the only thing that changes. And I started self-harming, um, something I hadn't done in probably 10 years to the point where I needed to get antibiotics because I caused myself to get an infection and my doctor's like I keep I keep putting in your in your little my chart that maybe rescue isn't the best thing for you <laughs> you know she goes I really I, I can't stress enough that this is not what you should be doing at this point I mean you know been in it for 30 years yeah well, not quite 30 years so I'm going to have to make a decision, you know. I mean, I, uh, driving and thinking, you know, the road is turning. What if I go straight? I mean, you know, I, I don't really have... I think a lot of us have had those kind of moments. Yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like I, I just... And the imposter syndrome. I, you know, everything has just come... It, it just came to a head, like, and, and it was building, 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 and I tried to take care of myself, but then eventually it just, you know, I just got to the point where I'm just done, you know, and I don't know how people can do it. 
Yeah. And I think it's like, we have to be so supportive of our ourselves and each other to be able to look at each other and say, it's time to take a break. Right. Because we, we have to be supportive of each other because I don't think people outside of rescue can understand all of that and, and what it does to you. And I think when you're part of the administration, the, you know, the busiest volunteer job known to man, right. Administration and, and a rescue, you don't ever get a break ever, 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 not on vacation, not when you're trying to sleep, not when you're at work. Right. I mean, it's, and, you know, I, I, I always think, like, what would I do differently if, if I, you know, was going to do this again? I feel like you have to have some sort of rotation of responsibilities like mm-hmm. that. I to mean, give I agree. people time off. It's yeah. just not sustainable. It's not. It's not at all. And, you know, like, I was, like, the perfect person to come in to do all that I've done in rescue. I mean, I was working part-time. Now I'm retired. I've got pretty much nothing but time, except for my time seems to be taken up. I mean, you know, I think that's how it is. It's not nine to five anymore. It's just, you know, midnight to eight or whatever it is. So I got, I, I, I think I did volunteer. I took on more things because I could. But rescue is a full-time job. Mm-hmm. How I had time to work is beyond me. You know, it's it's so much work, and it, the uh, I don't think the workload is evenly divided. And should it be? I mean, if you know that you can do three things well, do you sign up for a fourth thing and do it pretty well? Uh, or if you know that, you know, people are just going to throw things on you and you just take it because it's easier than finding somebody else. Because by the time you find somebody else, you could have finished that task. So then you become the such and such person. You know, it's just, I mean, I was shocked when I saw what my obligations were, you know, January 9th, 2018. Two, I wrote down a list of the things that I do, and I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not even close to being done. It's just I need to figure out a way to articulate it. Plus, I don't want it to look like, you know, like this really totally amazing person. I'm not. What I've done is I've just dug myself into a hole. So when I do leave, it's going to take five people to do what I do. And that sucks. That sucks for, you know, the the executive director. That sucks for the other directors because they're chugging along doing their thing. And we just are in this, this, this holding pattern where we just do what we do. And But it'll get figured out. It, it always does. It always does. It always gets figured out, you know. There's always like... I mean, you know, it... If it didn't work out, nobody would be doing this. It always works out. But, you know, I just wish that, I wish the younger people would, I mean, because I'm going to be 60 one day. So I feel like the younger people should be doing it, but they don't, you know, because they've got all like the computer skills and they can like do all this really cool stuff. Like, you know, I don't need, 
I don't know how to download a podcast, so I'm certainly <laughs> not going to be doing TikTok, you know. How do we use AI to get dogs adopted? <laughs> think about that. Uh, there you go. There you go. Exactly. Put and, it I, and I think that a huge part of making life better on an administrative level in in foster in rescue is having fosters. And I think people think that it is really, 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 really hard to foster. And it's, it is so rewarding. And I think I just always tell people just do it once. And I think you will really, really enjoy it and want to come back. And if you don't, you don't, but you can look at it that I fostered a dog and I helped a dog, you know, save its life, save another life. Because when you empty that kennel at the shelter, another dog can go in there and be saved. So I think that's a huge, huge struggle for rescues right now is not having the fosters and that weighing on you of what that is doing. Is this rescue going to fail? Is this rescue going to go under? What's going to happen to these dogs that, you know, are needing a foster and there's nobody volunteering? And I think it's really baffling to most people as to why people aren't fostering. I I have not really figured out where everybody has gone. I mean, I I work, I'm a single mother, kid in sports, have my own pets. And it's like, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't fostering. It's not like you're taking on an entirely new job. It's you've already got existing pets in your house. So I, th- I think it's just something that is really different in in the I mean I think fosters are always needed but right now rescues are closing down left and right because there's no fosters to bring animals in it's really sad so what do you want to leave people with what is like your last thought for like this is what people should know about rescues Um, I think rescues are full of a lot of people who are really, really trying to help this situation with the animals in need. The the shelters within homes where people can no longer take care of their animals. And just try it. Just try fostering. Be that a puppy, an adult dog, a senior dog, cat, kittens. We're talking a lot about dogs, but even cats and kittens need a foster. And it doesn't mean forever, or it could mean forever. It could be you're not sure if you're ready for an animal. And while we would like you to foster 6,000 animals, maybe you foster and decide that's the pet for you. And maybe you continue to foster after you adopt, but just give it a try. Just try it. I think one of the things, and there's probably, I'm sure there's like advertising campaigns based on this, but we are not superhuman. We're just regular people with Mm -hmm. jobs and families. And, you know, we get tired, we're imperfect. We don't always know the answers, we have to ask for help, just like I mean, so anybody can do this. It's not like you have to be special. I just remember people saying, you know, giving a reason why they can't foster. Well, I work full time. It's like, well, we all work. <laughs> Give me another. Come on, come up with something else. I mean, I've never had a dog before. Well, yeah. And if you're fostering, sometimes yeah. if you're fostering for the right rescue, you're gonna get the support you need to learn what you need to learn to make it work. Any last thoughts? 
Yeah, I think um, I think what we do is so important. I think that we need to stay on targets when we start going to social media to look for things, to look for faults in in other rescues, mm-hmm. to look for problems in other areas. I mean, if you can solve those problems, that's great. But just bringing it out and kind of just bullying, really, essentially, when you're looking for something so that you can feel better, I mean, it doesn't work. What it does is it just it distracts everybody else. Everybody else who sees that post wants to know what's going on. And you don't have anything nice to say. It's like a good say, right? 20 minutes of like going down a rabbit hole of comments. And we all know, never read the comments. I know. But, um, I think if we, we need better distractions, you know, not looking to other rescues to find their faults, not self-harming, not all these other things. Just, you know, stay the course Give yourself a break. I mean, if it would be so great if rescue could be like eight hours a day, just so that you know that you have to sit down, eat dinner at the table, not in front of the computer, not check your emails at 11 o'clock at night just to make sure you didn't miss anything. And the first thing you do when you wake up at five the next morning is put your phone in your hand. There's I feel like there should be mandatory like meditation time, <laughs> things like this, where you have you do something for yourself first. You know, sorry, I'm not reading emails because I haven't done this for myself yet. And I, I, I wish there was just a way to be able to mandate that, like the way, uh, you know, so many other things. Th- there's proper protocol in rescue, and I feel like that should be one of the things too, because, you know, saving a life is an amazing feeling Mm -hmm. but we can't do it alone so we need a team and we need to know when we need to stop and we need to know that other people can pick it up you know and i think uh i think rescues and shelters should just keep on doing it and you know just get get through it then i guess you know being across the street from a liquor store probably doesn't (laughs) hurt either Well, I'm so grateful for all of you today for your time, for sharing, for having this conversation. As I, I really want people to know what what all goes on, like kind of behind the scenes. And and I think you guys have done an amazing job. And so much. thank you so much. Oh, <laughs> thanks thank for you. having us. I'm so incredibly grateful to Nicole, to Melissa, and to Jen for sharing so incredibly vulnerably with us and really sharing what the rescue world is really like. I have so much respect, so much gratitude for everyone doing this work around the world. You know, I personally have been in therapy for the better part of 20 years now, dealing with issues like codependency and setting boundaries and not people pleasing and learning that it's okay to express my needs. So I really appreciate this type of emotional journey. 
I thought some of the ideas shared about delegating tasks and rotating duties, I think that that's something that's going to be so important for rescue organizations going forward if they want to be sustainable and to keep up this important life-saving work. Because while I know it's all about the dogs for so many people, and I know that some of these, you know, things are so cliched about, you know, can't pour from an empty cup and got to put your oxygen mask on first and all these things that I know some people just kind of roll their eyes out. But my goodness, it's so incredibly important if we want to be able to make the impact that we want on the world and to serve the greater good, we do have to take that time to care for ourselves in some way and learn that these things aren't selfish or indulgent. They're vital. They're vital to our sustainability as people. And I know sometimes it's that first step of stopping and taking inventory of yourself and being like, oh, I can't keep going on like this. And then having to reach out and ask for help. I know sometimes that's the hardest part, but I guarantee you that the people in your life, whether it's your family, your fellow volunteers, they are all ready, willing, and able and want to help you and will be glad to do so if they know exactly what it is that you need help with. They'll be more than happy to do it. They just need to know and then will gladly be the ones to pick that up for you and pick up that torch and carry it. So if you have any friends or family or fellow volunteers in the shelter and rescue world, please share this roundtable with them because I think that there's some extremely helpful and important information that was shared in these conversations that could hopefully better people's lives, people's organizations, and in the end, the dog's lives. So I don't want to keep you any longer, but thank you for listening to the Rescue Roundtable. I love doing these roundtable episodes. And that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. You can always find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook or at Erin the Dog Mom on Instagram. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.